Hey guys, today's show is brought to you by one of our newest and favorite sponsors, and that is Photo IQ. Photo IQ offers digital photography online courses like none other of its kind. Okay, it's explained simply, concisely. There's no jargon, no overcomplications, and there are lessons for from beginner to intermediate photographer from ages 13 and up. It's the only digital photography course of its kind that offers online um, quizzes, personal feedback. You get to upload your your homework, and it'll help you build your own portfolio. It's going to be more in depth than anything you've probably taken in high school, and even if you took some like freshman level courses in college. Okay, and you can do this all socially distance from home you know we're all stuck in our houses under these uh, lockdown restrictions and you know some of your schools aren't open well this is a great way to learn a new skill maybe develop an alternate source of income and get that side gig starting to sort of free yourself up so what i need you to do is go to photoiq.co and use the promo code fiction okay we're almost through September now. It's the it's the 18th. You have until the end of this month to get an additional 20% off on all of his courses. But that promo code fiction will get you 10% off plus the 20 he's already offering. You'll get 30% off as long as you buy the courses before the end of this month and you can take them anytime that you want. Okay. Um, after this month, I'll still be able to get you 10% off, but that 20% is going to go by the wayside. He offers a 30 day money back guarantee. You got nothing to lose. So ditch those pathetic sunset pictures you guys have been taking. Go to photoiq.co, use promo code fiction and start learning how to take anything from camera basics, still life, food, landscapes, portraits black and white, action photos, everything that you could possibly imagine. He's got a course for it. It's going to be better than anything you can find on YouTube. So go to photoiq.co and use promo code FICTION. All right, let's get on with the show. Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceilings does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hello, hello. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. I am, of course, your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, broadcasting once again deep behind enemy lines south of the border from Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. I do apologize to all you fiction peddlers out there. I know I missed Monday's episode, and I'm a day late with Thursdays. Monday's episode, you know, I had a, um, a bunch of family coming in. Well, not a bunch of family. I had my, my sister, my older sister came in for her birthday 
from uh, Portland. She she got out of there just in time to beat the the wildfires and the air pollution and everything that's going on over there. And she drove cross country to meet up with everybody in Milwaukee. And so you know, I had planned on doing just uh, Tuesday and Friday this week, regardless. I probably should have mentioned that. But I ended up staying in Milwaukee a lot longer than I had planned. I didn't get back until Wednesday. And then I had a 6 a.m. flight out of Chicago Thursday morning. So yesterday was a, a travel day for me, and I was just exhausted by the end of it. Yeah, I had to get up. I was checking a bag because I brought all my equipment down, as I had mentioned. And so I had to get to the airport kind of early. I had to leave at like 4 a.m. And I didn't actually go to bed until almost 2. So I, I did not get a lot of sleep other than what I got on the plane. And I just didn't have a show in me yesterday. So you're getting it Friday. Better late than never. Hope you all are doing well and you got some good weekend plans going. Yeah, I've been compiling a list of articles since last since the last episode. So it's been about a week since the last episode came out. And I've just been, every time I find like an interesting article that I think would make a good topic for the show, I, I kind of make a note of it and jot down some thoughts or whatever. And my list just kept getting so long. There is a lot of, there hasn't been like a ton of news stories, I guess, but there's been some, a lot of uh, hubbub around the whole um, Netflix cuties movie that came out and I didn't get a chance to comment on that. We have um, some stimulus and market stuff to go over. Of course, apparently my neighbor's little bitch dog is barking. So if you hear that in the background, I apologize. There's not much I can do about that. There haven't been a lot of like major news stories, especially this week has been kind of slow. But I found a lot of little interesting sort of like potpourri articles that I wanted to talk about. I don't know how much of it I'll actually get to today, the whole uh cuties thing i mean i think you guys should know where i stand on um on that and i'm i know that uh you know part of the problem covered it pretty extensively i'm surprised it took people this long to catch on to the whole cuties thing because i first heard about it the last time i was in pv i remember somebody somebody brought it up on their podcast and this was like over a month ago so i don't know what what took the rest of the world so long to catch on to this but I think that that poster came out, or at least a cover shot that was that was, everybody's up in arms about, and rightfully so. That was over a month ago that that came out. So I don't know what what took the the rest of the world to catch on to this, but it really is a a disturbing a, a disturbing movie and just a disturbing trend that we're sort of headed to. And and to see people defend that or try to defend it has been very very interesting, in my opinion. I don't. You know, I'm not going to to really cover too much of it because I think you know it's kind of stale now. This was sort of like late last week, earlier this week. This was you know all of the rage, and I'm sure most of you guys have already caught your filling of this. But the idea that like the only defense that I've seen of it is like, well, did you watch the movie because it it really doesn't promote like a pedophilia or anything like that, or like sexualizing like 10 year old girls. It's more critical of it than that. And, you know, it's just using this as a vessel to show you the problems that they have and whatever, like, (laughs) 
Um, and there's been all sorts of like great memes and things that have going around. I think the Babylon B had a great, a great headline. You know, it's like Netflix movie actually murders puppies to teach that murdering puppies is bad. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, we can, um, we can all get behind the idea that, you know, exploiting and sexualizing 10 year old girls and pedophilia and, and things like that are bad without actually doing it to 10 year old girls. <laughs> uh, but it really has been interesting watching people try to defend something that fucking disgusting. But yeah, you know, I'm not going to watch that movie. I have no desire to watch that movie. I talked to, I know one of our questions from the Ask Me Anything Labor Day episode was about pedophilia. This kind of falls into the, the same realm. It's, it's very disturbing to me. It's disgusting. I want nothing to do with it. And uh, I have not canceled my Netflix subscription, but they probably deserve all the cancellations. I mean, the idea that something like that can pass through so many levels, <laughs> like imagine being the, the the producer or whatever. Like I, I don't know how all this shit works, but the guy who approves the the final cover for Cuties. And somebody walks into your office and be like, here, you know, we got this movie. It's it's like 11-year-old girls shaking their ass and like grabbing their pussies. And uh, this is the cover we want to use for it. <laughs> and you're so goddamn out of touch with society that you approve it. And how many different levels of approval does that have to go through before it's actually like up on the site? And who makes that? Mo- oh, my God. I don't know. There's just there's so much wrong with this. But at least there's been a lot of pushback. I know it was trending on Twitter for a while, like at least a couple of days that, you know, cancel Netflix and all this cutie stuff was trending because people are rightfully disgusted by this. So I guess that's the silver lining. It, it, you know, it seems like a trial balloon kind of thing. And it could be the beginning of, you know, since there was a lot of backlash, maybe they'll have to throttle back on this whole movement to to push there has been like very subtle, a subtle movement to justify pedophilia and and, and sort of uh, excuse it away, say that, you know, make excuses for, for pedophiles and things like that. When, I mean, even in like prisons with like the most despicable criminals on the face of the earth, like murderers, rapists, pedophiles get like the immediate fucking beat down. In prisons, like most of society despises these people, but there's been this like underground movement lately, the last uh, year or so, maybe a little longer to sort of um, justify pedophilia and make excuses for it. And hopefully they got enough backlash to to really uh, nip that in the butt. Because this felt like it was a trial balloon. They're, They're pushing the envelope, seeing how far they can go. And it looks like they went a little too far with with this whole thing. And uh, hopefully that means that it, they they are going to throttle back on this and maybe we can reverse this trend of promoting the sexualization and pedophilia of of underage kids because man there there are a few things that are more despicable, disgusting and just detrimental to society. You know, when I was growing up, one of my favorite things to listen I listened to it every night was Love Line with Adam Carolla and Dr. Drew Pinsky. Okay, it was it was on from um I think 10 to midnight and I would just put it on on the radio. You know, this is before cell phones, this is before 
the the internet really, you know, we had like dial up, I guess. But so every night, you know, I'd have like my little alarm clock radio thing and I would fall asleep to, to lo- episodes of Loveline. And every other caller had like some weird sexual thing going on or, or had like something messed up in their personal lives. Dr. Drew would be able to pinpoint exa- like pretty much the age that they were sexually abused and like um who did it to them they used to gamble on this stuff it, i mean it's it was hilarious it was a great show but the amount of like psychological damage that is done to kids that are molested and, and just like sexualized at a really young age is I mean, it messes these people up for the rest of their lives and it perpetuates itself. I mean, it, it becomes like a perpetuating cycle. A lot of times victims of sexual abuse go on to victimize other people. So it, it just keeps getting worse and worse and cycles. Uh, it ends up being like a generational thing. And even just like he could tell by their voice that they were like sexually abused before the age of five, probably by like an uncle or whatever. Like, and he was, you know, they, they were always right. And I don't know, there, it just really messes with people. And it's not like today's kids have, uh, like they have plenty of things to worry about, right? And another question we got on the whole Labor Day thing was the, you know, the effect that these lockdowns and the masks mandates and all this like uh, COVID hysteria, this pandemic hysteria is having on kids. And yeah, I mean, that's going to be a problem. Socializing kids is going to be a problem. They're all, you know, they all get cell phones now really early. They're looking at, I mean, they have the internet now, which, I mean, I can only imagine the kind of things that kids are seeing on the internet. It's like impossible to police that. There's no way that their parents know or are like tech savvy enough to, to be able to prevent them from getting this stuff on their phone. And even if you do, it's like one of the, they'll get it from one of their friends or something like that. And I can only imagine having access to that sort of stuff when I was a kid. Um, the, the best we could do was like, you know, a, a Playboy magazine or something. But yeah, I mean, th- this is going to have a profound effect on kids. And the last thing we need to do is, is start uh, promoting stuff like cuties and, and like over-sexualizing them. I mean, the, the things that it's doing to just females and their their um, body image and their, their sense of self-worth and, you know, you see all these all these girls now are like, y'all have their like, uh, what are they called? Only fans and, and all these like porn, their own like porn channels and things like that. They're basically prostituting themselves. Like, you know, teenage girls who think who are like looking for affection and things like that and attention. And they, they see all this stuff on Instagram or whatever. I don't know. Uh, TikTok, I think is (laughs) might be getting banned pretty soon. I don't know if TikTok is one of them or Snapchat, it's just doing a tremendous amount of psychological damage to these uh, these kids, and it's really destroying the fabric of society, I think, going forward. So um, hopefully this trial balloon of cuties, since it was met with a pretty big backlash, I don't know, I don't know what sort of um, subscription numbers got canceled. But hopefully, hopefully they learn their lesson and we can sort of turn this uh, this damn bus around and head the exact opposite direction of where Netflix was going with this. Anyway, um, I actually didn't plan on talking about that for that long, but 
Before I get into the rest of the show today, why don't we take a quick second and thank our other sponsor for today's show. And since I am now down in Mexico, I don't have access. So if the show seems a little off or I'm not as sharp as normal (laughs) or or I seem tired or something like that, it could be because I haven't had my fix from my friends at Lorenzotti Coffee. And if you go to lorenzotti.coffee and you use the promo code FICTION, you will get 10% off your order of premium Italian coffee and they'll deliver it right to your door. It was a It's a small business that was started by two entrepreneurial, liberty-minded individuals who came together of their, from their love of coffee and their inability to find a decent cup anywhere in the United States. This is the kind of coffee that we all long for, that we all picture ourselves drinking in the Italian countryside or sipping your espresso. They also sell, speaking of, uh, espresso brewing equipment, professional brewing coffee equipment for those of you who may have a small business or an office that requires that sort of thing, or maybe you're just really serious about brewing your coffee. Go to lorenzotti.coffee, use the promo code FICTION, you'll get 10% off your order, and if you order at least two tins, you'll get free shipping. That's L-O-R, E as in Edward, N as in Nancy, Z as in Zebra, O-T-T-I dot coffee, promo code FICTION. Okay. I would be remiss if I didn't mention a small but possibly very significant victory for Liberty. And that happened in Pennsylvania. The governor's COVID-19 restrictions were ruled unconstitutional by a federal judge. This was, uh, let's see, four days ago was when I, I saw this. So I saw this on Monday and I planned on talking about it on Monday's show. But the Democratic uh, Pennsylvania governor, Tom Wolf's pandemic restrictions, including a requirement that non-life-sustaining businesses were to shut down, has been ruled unconstitutional by a federal judge. The U.S. District Judge William Stickman IV, a Trump appointee, ruled on Monday in a 66-page opinion that the restrictions were overreaching, arbitrary, and violated citizens' constitutional rights. And isn't that a breath of fresh air? When was the last time you had a judge say those words? Plaintiffs in the case included hair salons, a farmer's market vendor, a horse trainer, drive-in movie theaters, and several GOP lawmakers, according to Channel 6 ABC. The ruling means that the current restrictions, including limitations on the size of all gatherings, cannot be enforced. So none of these restrictions can be uh, enforced right now by the police. Like, you, if you have your business, you can go and open it up, and and there, there's no COVID bullshit. This is this is unbelievably great for Pennsylvania. They better get after it. It's really 100% in our favor. The court found in all respects that the orders issued by the governor and the secretary of health were unconstitutional. Well, of course. I mean, everything that these guys are doing is unconstitutional. What it means is that they can't do it again. And they should not have done it in the in the past," said Attorney Thomas W. King III. Everyone's got the the uh, the numbers after their name. Uh, who represents the plaintiffs? It's a complete and total victory for the counties, the businesses, and the representatives. He added. Wolf, the governor, said in a statement that his office would seek an immediate stay to halt the order while they file an appeal. Okay, now that's just complete fucking bullshit. All right, this is all backwards. Doesn't everybody see how backwards this is? They violate our constitutional rights. They shut everything down illegally. 
right? For what's it been six months now? It's March 18th. So yeah, it's been six months easily. It's September 18th. So they can do all this for six months while, you know, the, the slow wheels of the government court system turn and this finally makes it to a judge who, who's going to shoot it down. And now they want to stay a, a stay of execution on his order to prevent businesses from opening up so that while they file an appeal and who knows how long that fucking process is going to take. This is bullshit. The default should not be the violation of our rights. The default should be liberty should be freedom. That should come first. And if you want to uh, pass some law that has been deemed or that, that could possibly violate the Constitution, well, you should have to get permission from the courts to do that first. You don't get to do it, and then somebody has to challenge it to see if it's constitutional. Well, what the fuck is that? It's bullshit. It's all backwards. You should have to – they say that they work for us, right? They're our representatives. Okay, well, we have all of these – like the whole point of this system was so that you know we vote for you. You ensure our rights. You protect our property, all, you know, all this crap. It shouldn't be that you get to violate our rights. You get to confiscate our property. Tell us what we, what we can and what we can't do with our property, with our bodies, with everything. And then we have to challenge that in your court system your federal court system with like government employees to, to see if it's constitutional or not. And then you get, if you don't like the ruling, if they actually rule against you by some miracle, we find a fucking judge who's going to rule against the governor and you're going to order a, a, a stay to halt the order and, and while you file an appeal and who knows how long that can drag on. So that, I mean, but by this time next year, maybe we'll finally know whether or not they're going to uphold this guy's ruling. And meanwhile, for a year and a half, uh, you're just shit out of luck. Your, your business is shut down. You don't get to live your life. This is fucking ridiculous, man. Anyway, back to the article. <laughs> the actions taken by the administration were mirrored by governors across the county and saved and continue to save lives in the absence of federal action, said Lindsey Kensinger, a spokesman for the governor. Okay, that's very debatable. Adding, the decision is especially worrying as Pennsylvania and the rest of the country are likely to face a challenging time with the possible resurgence of COVID-19 and the flu in the fall and winter. Kensinger noted that Monday's order does not apply to the mandatory mask order or the mandatory work-from-home order, according to TribLive.com. Well, why not? Why wouldn't it apply to that? That's ridiculous. Those are... Those are just as a, a violation of the, the Constitution as anything. After reviewing the record, Stickman said that he believes that defendants undertook their actions in a well-intentioned effort to protect Pennsylvanians from the virus. Of course, it's always well-intentioned, right? However, good intentions toward a laudable end are not alone enough to uphold government action against the constitutional challenge. Indeed, the greatest threats to our system of constitutional liberties may arise when the ends are laudable and the intent is good, especially in the time of emergency. Hallelujah. Thank you, Stickman. Couldn't have said it better myself. Stickman, who was appointed to the bench in 2019, said that even a vigilant public may let down its guard over its constitutional liberties, only to find that liberties, once relinquished, are hard to recoup, and that the restrictions, while expedient in the face of an emergency situation, may persist long after immediate danger has passed. You think? 
You think, Stickman? Have you been listening to this podcast? I mean, that's basically all I talk about. Of course. Of course. I mean, we, we hand over all of our constitutional liberties. They're gone in the blink of an eye. I mean, how quickly did they come up with all of these COVID-19 restrictions? And our lives are permanently changed. Like people think that there's a lot of people talking like, oh, I can't wait for 2020 to be over as if something magical is going to happen between December 31st of this year and January 2nd of next year. And all of a sudden, all of this COVID stuff will be gone. The mask mandate, you know, the businesses will be, everything will be open. It'll just be like pre 2020, like this never happened. No. Absolutely not. These are never going away. There is nothing more permanent than a temporary government program or restriction or whatever you want to call this stuff that they're putting on us. This is this stuff is going to be here to stay. Maybe not all of it, but the president is there. So the next time that there's some virus going around, well, here we go. Here we go. Two weeks to flatten the curve turns into six months. You're wearing a mask everywhere, and if you challenge it on uh, grounds that they're violating your constitution, uh, constitutionally protected liberties, well, they'll, they'll get a stay of execution on that order. It'll halt it. They'll drag it through the appeals court. They'll make sure that they get a friendly judge to, to you know, back them up. And oh, this is uh, this is very depressing. But <laughs> I wanted to start. I wanted that to be a, an uplifting story. The fact that there is a judge out there who is willing to stand on principle, and rule all of this stuff unconstitutional. Of course, there's no constitutional authority for the government to shut down businesses to determine that, oh, their business is okay, it's essential, they're essential workers, you're non-essential, go home, sit down, shut up, put a mask on. They don't have the authority for any of this stuff. Nothing the government does. I mean, if you were to look at the government today, 95% of it is, has, has to be unconstitutional. It just has to be. Everything that they do is unconstitutional. The Constitution is very short. It's not very long. They enumerated some powers, and that was about it. And, and our government does everything. They're involved in every aspect of our lives. And they're coming out, you know, they're still fighting over the, the next round, the fourth round of economic stimulus for the COVID relief, right? The, the Democrats shot down a $1.5 trillion pandemic stimulus compromise that the GOP came up with last week, was it? Uh, or no, earlier this week. I think that was on uh, Tuesday, I think. So if you guys recall, I've been, you know, I've been talking about this periodically on the show. The Republicans were at a trillion. They really wanted to be under a trillion, I think, for the optics, you know, the whole nine, 99, 95 type thing. And Democrats were at three and a half trillion. Okay. We're spending, we're going to spend seven trillion. We've already spent seven trillion dollars this year, by the way, and only taken in about three something. So our, our deficit for the year is our budget deficit is three three trillion, which is unheard of under under a Republican uh, fiscally conservative Republicans, right? So they finally got the Republicans to bump it up to one point five. They shut that down, and then Nancy Pelosi was out today. They were blaming some of the stock market action on her today because stocks have been down for the the last couple of days, and they they dropped to session lows after Nancy Pelosi says she's sticking to the two point two trillion dollar stimulus bill. So they're they're still you know. 700 700 billion off on this which at this point who fucking cares this is a rounding error 
2.2 trillion, 1.5 trillion. We've already spent 7 trillion. What's another 700 billion? It's not like the people are going to look back at Republicans and be like, "Oh, they really put their foot down." The the fiscal conservative Republicans, they, you know, they really held strong. They kept those Democrats, those free spending Democrats down to 1.5 trillion on the fourth round of stimulus, which would the fiscal year isn't over. So if they if they pass this before the year is over and we add another 2. Point, that's 9 trillion dollars in a fucking year. Are you kidding me? But even if it was 1.5, okay, eight and a half trillion, eight and a half trillion dollars from Republican, uh, a Republican president and a Republican fucking Senate. It doesn't matter. Like the optics on this are already fucked. Nobody can look at Republicans and think that they actually care about being fiscally conservative. It's just impossible to make that argument. You can't. You can't. They, they, they're spending money hand over fist. They're, this is the most we've ever spent in a year. And you can make all the excuses you want, you know, COVID, shutdowns, whatever. I've made this point before. If you don't stand on principle, like what's the what, what's the choice here now? So so voters, all of these like people, everyday people who aren't obsessed with this stuff, who don't understand the economic ramifications of, of these stimulus bills, they're they're looking and like, well, the Democrats want to spend two point two trillion, and the Republicans want to spend one point five. Who am I going to vote for? Who am I going to support? Well, if, if you know economic stimulus is good, why would we only do one point five? Why don't we do 2.2? Hell, why don't we do 5 trillion? What's, you know, what's the uh, limiting principle here? If it's good, wouldn't more of it be better? And how do you determine how much is too much? But basically what's happening here is Pelosi and the Democrats want extra money to bail out all of these failed uh, democratically run states. So Illinois being one of them. Uh, California, New York, New Jersey, all these states that are fucking bankrupt, they're trying to uh, procure some extra stimulus funds so that they can bail out these democratically run states so that all of these people that have been supporting democratic policies for the last 50 years that have seen their, their cities and their states go to absolute shambles, go to shit. They, so that they don't feel the ramifications of this for a while. This, that's what this is all about. And so the Republicans don't want to give them that money because they don't want the Democrats to get that free pass. They want them to suffer the consequences of their bad policies. And along with it, the people that voted it, voted it in and the people that didn't vote it, like the people like myself who haven't, haven't voted in 18 years. Um, we have to suffer under these uh, democratically run uh, states as well. They don't want us getting bailed out from from these bad policies either. And like I've talked about on the show, bailing out these states has tremendous moral hazard associated with it. So I'm not in favor of that either. But it's just it's interesting that, you know, the the Democrats are willing to let everybody suffer so that, you know, hold up these these stimulus bills, the twelve hundred dollars a month or whatever they're going to send people now. They'll hold that up so that they can bail out their failed states the Republicans will will skimp on the stimulus so that the Democrats can't get like can't hide their political ineptitude in all of these states and cover up for all their mistakes. And meanwhile, you know, Joe Sixpack is just sitting home. He's not allowed to go to work, right? He can't open up his business. 
He's he's been deemed non-essential by all of these wise overlords in Washington. And we just he just has to sit there and suffer, suffer the consequences. And even if a judge, by some miracle, gets the case on his desk and rules it unconstitutional, well, then the governor is going to appeal it and come up with a way to, to make sure that he can't go back to work to support his family, to save his you know business, his life's work, whatever, while the government appeals process drags on. And how are they going to? Uh, how are we going to pay for all of this? This additional, you know, two point two trillion. We'll call it. You know, we'll meet somewhere in the middle. Say we'll spend uh, somewhere between eight and a half and nine trillion dollars this year. How are we going to pay for that? Well, the Republicans would have you believe that you don't have to pay for it, right? That they'll, they'll give you tax cuts and the increased economic activity will bolster the tax receipts coming into the government to make up the difference. Now, even in a normal, even like under uh, George W. Bush, yes, the, the tax revenue increased when they decreased the rates that, that of taxes that people paid. So there is some truth to that. However, you have to cut spending as well. You don't get to increase spending and have tax cuts and expect that the the gap between the tax revenue and the spending is going to, to be filled by increased economic activity. That, that's never going to happen, especially on the level that we're at now, where we're going to run a $5 trillion deficit. I mean, just think about that. $5 trillion fiscal year deficit. One year. One year. The entire national debt when George Bush took office. George W. Bush was $5 trillion, okay? And he doubled it in eight years. Every dollar that the federal government spent last year was only like $4 trillion something, okay? And our deficit this year is more than that we spent in the entire year of government last year. $5 trillion deficit, 8 to $9 trillion spent. How are we going to pay for it? Republicans will tell you you can get a free lunch. They'll give you tax cuts. In reality... What's going to happen is this is going to cause massive inflation. The inflation tax, the hidden tax that hits everybody hard, but the poorest among us, those on fixed incomes, that's going to, to be how, how they pay for it. The, the Democrats, Joe Biden, will tell you that we just need to increase taxes on the rich. In fact, he came out with his plan, um, I don't know, a few days ago. What the Democrats plan to do is, is we can make up this $5 trillion deficit by just taxing the rich, which I know that sounds great to those of you who aren't rich. And he made a promise that it's not going to, they're not going to raise taxes on anybody making less than $400,000 a year, which, okay, I mean, that's most people. If you're making $400,000 a year, you're in the 1% in America. So very, uh, very bold stance Joe Biden's taking there. I mean, obviously, this is why they always promote tax the rich, because there aren't that many rich people, and they know where the votes are, and they know where their bread is buttered. Their bread is buttered by all of the lemmings out there that don't realize that the rich could never, in a million years, even if you confiscated every dollar that they made and all of their wealth, couldn't pay for that, couldn't pay for one year of government spending, and that the rich truly, the truly rich, do not pay taxes, okay? They... There are a million ways that they can avoid these taxes and pass the taxes on to the Joe Six Packs of society. Biden's plan was to increase, is to basically treat 
the uh, the capital gains, income and dividends and things like that that you earn from investments. So those of you who don't abla finance or whatever, capital gains are like the profits that you make on an investment. If you buy a stock low and you sell it high, so you make you know five thousand dollars in profit, that's your your capital gains. Okay, and you have to pay taxes on that. And if you're at the upper income bracket, you know if you if you're making more than four hundred thousand dollars a year, well, right now you would have to pay twenty three point eight percent. We'll call it twenty four percent of capital gains on that five thousand dollars. All right, what Biden wants to do is treat that capital gains income. And those dividends that you get from your stocks and and whatever he wants to treat that as ordinary income, which it, right now I think is at thirty seven percent or something like that. And he wants to bump that up to thirty nine. So he wants to go back to like Obama's thirty nine point five or whatever. And then he wants to treat all your investments as regular income and and tax that at that thirty nine percent rate. And yeah, you know, I was listening to uh, Peter Schiff's podcast, which. I mean, he he does a great. He's really good for like economic analysis and like you know he's a he's got like an accounting degree and things like that. So he really understands this stuff a lot more than I do. But he he basically ran the numbers on this. And when all is said and done, when you take into account the fact that first of all, capital gains, the money that you invest has already been taxed once, right? So it's like you earn an income from your employer, you pay your your tax on that, and then you take whatever's left and you buy some stocks with it, and those stocks produce you a profit. Well, then you got to pay tax on that as well. So that money's being taxed twice. The corporations who pay out these dividends are being taxed twice, right? Because they have, they're they're taxed on their uh, their income. They pay a, a, the corporate tax rate to to the federal government and then they have to pay the the capital gains on the dividends that they distribute. So anyway, I don't want to get too bogged down in all this technical, you know, jargon or whatever, but when all is said and done, the top income tax rate for the rich would be, you know, and corporations and things like that would be like 75%. 75%. A corporation would be paying 75% in taxes. That is insane. Okay, that is tantamount to the government taking over the company at that point. I mean, if the if the government's getting 75 percent and the shareholders of the company are getting 25 percent, who owns the company? Right. I mean, that the, the government owns it and you're just like running it for the government, which is fascism. Essentially, this is like a backdoor way into fascism. I mean, not only is that absurd, but all of these taxes, they protect people that are already rich. Okay, because the rich people don't pay these taxes. You do. You will always end up paying. You and me, we're the ones that get left holding the bag. Okay, the rich people they can move their business. You know, you can move to, you can reincorporate in Puerto Rico and only pay a four percent corporate tax rate and pay zero capital gains until twenty thirty five. It's one of the reasons why I want to get down there. But you can you can put your business in some other country that doesn't have these types of things, or you can move money around. Or, you know, they can pass the cost on to the, the customers and recoup their, their tax dollars that way. There's a million ways for the rich people to avoid these taxes. And all this does is protect the rich people from other people becoming rich. You know, it, it hurts the people that aspire to be rich, like you and me. It, it, it makes it harder for us to crack that threshold because every step of the way, the government's there taking a huge chunk of what you earn. 
I mean, the, the, these rich guys, they're already rich, okay? And they can afford to, to move out, of, to get out of Dodge, to move their company overseas, to move themselves overseas, to renounce their citizenship. They can do all kinds of things. You're not. You're not rich. But you want to be, right? We all want to be rich. So how will you ever do that if every time you accomplish something, the government takes 75% of it? This is insane. And on top of that, the, uh, there's, there's this thing called the, uh, the 1039 exchange, which is like basically this way of deferring paying taxes on capital gains from real estate. So if you sell a, a, a real estate property and you make a bunch of money on it, as long as you take that money and you buy another property that costs more than the one you sold, you don't have to pay the, any taxes on that. And you can just kind of keep doing that over and over and over again. Every time you sell your property, if you make a profit, you just buy a bigger property and you never have to, you defer the tax until eventually you, you stop doing it. And then you have to pay all the back taxes. But you can basically do that in perpetuity until the day that you die. And then the, the value of the last property you have, the, the, the basis is basically stepped up to whatever the property value was when you died. Does that make sense? So if like, if I worked my way up to like a $10 million property or something like that, and, and I bought it for like 600000 or something. Um, all the back taxes from my first like $100,000 property to the $10 million property, I, I wouldn't have to pay those because when I died, they would treat the property that I bought for $600,000 as if it was uh, I bought it for $10 million. You know, they value it the way that it's valued when I died because I never got to, you know, I died. I didn't get to collect on any of those capital gains. And that's... Um, that's another thing that Biden wants to get rid of to generate tax revenue is getting rid. They call that the stepped up basis. So they want to get rid of that as well because the government's missing out on all of these capital gains from, uh, you know, investments and properties and, and stuff because you died before you got to collect it. Anyway, you know, the Democrats plan is always just to tax the rich and pretend that they can pay for it. You know, there's a, there's an inheritance tax that's 40%. So. If you eliminated the the stepped up basis that we just talked about, you would have to pay the the twenty four percent capital gains, and then on top of that, the forty percent inheritance tax, and that's just at the federal level. When I sold that ten million dollar property, so when, when all is said and done, it, you know, when you add in the state level of, of taxation on top of that, you're probably looking at something like eighty percent of the of my inheritance would be taxed. The inheritance tax is like one of the dumbest, just most perverted taxes that we have. It, it really does a lot of damage to the economy. You know, what entrepreneur, what, what guy's going to build a business for the long haul if he knows that when he dies, 80% of it is going to be stolen by the federal government? And then, of course, it's not like the kids have the, or the people inheriting, you know, if I, if I build this really successful company and I give it off to my kids, it's not like, you know, say the company is valued at like $25 million. It's not like I just have $25 million sitting around in cash. It's all invested in the company and the capital equipment and all this stuff. So they don't have that. They don't have, even have the money to pay for the, the 40% inheritance tax that we have now. All of these companies end up getting liquidated and they get forced, they're forced to sell to pay the inheritance tax that they get. And they're forced to sell to pennies on the dollar to all of these like, uh, guys like Warren Buffett who buy these companies for pennies on the dollar and then fire everybody 
and, and merge them with the you know businesses that they already have going. So it's just a, it's a really evil, uh, just despicable thing to do, and it forces business owners to have shorter time horizons. You know who's gonna you know come up with a company that with like a you know hundred year time horizon when you know when you die eighty percent of it's gonna be stolen from you and the company's gonna have to be sold like stripped down and sold for parts. Which by the way, shorter time horizons is one of the features of democracy. It's one of the problems that Hans Hermann Hoppe pointed out in his masterpiece. Uh, democracy, the God that failed democracy and this government apparatus that we have, it promotes people to have really um, short time horizons and having a short time horizon, you know, going for uh, the instant gratification. That's one of the leading, you know, the leading causes of poverty, I guess you could say. People who accumulate wealth have very long time horizons. They defer that that purchase. That they defer to consume things now so that they can consume more later. And people who remain poor their entire lives never learn how to do that. And it's all just based off of, you know, it's like vindictive. It's all based off of envy. Like, oh, the, you know, the those kids don't deserve to inherit that money. We should take it from that guy and we should give it to people that are more deserving. And we'll determine who gets to do that, right? You know, this this idea of being a member of the Lucky Sperm Club is just, we can't have that. You know, we must put a stop to that and we must make things more equal by taking 80% from you and doling it out to people that didn't create a business, that haven't done anything productive. But I mean, like, think about what the, the implications of this are. What right does the government have to take your stuff just because you died? Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Like, who really owns anything? Or even better, who owns whom? Are you really free giving 80% of what you own to the government when you die? And even at, or no, when you're alive, 70, 75% plus uh, state income tax and capital gains, even if you're uh, an individual, you don't have a company or anything, you're just a high income earner. Are you free giving up 70 to 80% of what you earn to the government? And even after you die, then you have to give them more? For those of you not familiar with Robert Nozick's Tale of the Slave, he asks a very basic question. If 100%, if I confiscate 100% of the fruits of your labor, that would be slavery, right? Well, at what point does it not become slavery? At what percentage does it not become slavery? Certainly not at 70%. I would argue it would have to be zero. At 0%, you are no longer a slave. Anything in between 0 and 100 is just a different degree of slavery. And it really gets at the heart of the issue, which is government overreach and just the overall ineptitude of the Constitution. I saw somebody on Twitter posted the question, like, what's your least favorite part of the Constitution? And my response to that was it's ineptitude. It's impotence, like it's inability to curb government overreach. None of these, like as I said earlier on the show, none of these things that these governors are doing or that the, the federal government or the state governments are enacting in terms of COVID, none of it is constitutional. There's no authority for them to do that under the Constitution. None of these taxes are constitutional, uh, especially, you know, the inheritance tax and all these things. None of these taxes are apportioned. They're, they're direct taxes that are not apportioned. That should be unconstitutional. But of course, just like, you know, when they amended the Constitution to figure their way around that, the Supreme Court has figured out a way to justify the inheritance tax. 
they claim that they're they're not taxing the inheritance. Okay, so if I if I leave my kids a house, they're not taxing the house. They're taxing the privilege of me passing down my property to my heirs. That is their justification. It's a privilege. Okay, it's my privilege, and they get to tax it. Like what? Privilege. Get the fuck out of here, privilege. How is that a privilege? This is my shit. This is my house. This is my property. I already paid all your bullshit taxes all along the way. Now you're telling me I don't even own what you haven't taken from me yet? You see the implications of all this? We're all slaves to an all-powerful government who believes that they own 100% of us. And everything that they let us keep, well, you know, we should be thankful for that. It's, that's our privilege. It's a privilege of ours to be able to keep the fruits of our labor, to be able to keep our property and do with it as we see fit. Fuck off. Privilege of leaving an estate. But this is what they say. And they said, you know, we're not taxing the estate or a gift or anything like that. We're taxing the privilege of you being able to give something to someone else. Do you? This is unbelievable. And, and of course, the Supreme Court has ruled in lockstep with the rest of the government that these types of taxes, they're, they're called excise taxes, right? They've ruled that excise taxes can be applied to privileges as well as goods and services. So, so here we are, you know, if it pleases the crown, may I leave a gift to my son? I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, think about what they're saying here. Their claim, your wise overlords in Washington, is that if they've allowed you to in essence, maintain property for the federal government. They'll, they'll claim that you own it, but of course you don't own it. If I really owned it, why am I paying these property taxes in perpetuity, right? So uh, property taxes are just, they, they prove that you don't own it, that they own it, and you're basically just renting things from the government. You're maintaining the property for them. They, they've got us all working for them. But their claim is that if they allow you to own, in quotation marks, property, for the privilege of your government allowing you to own property and pay tribute to them annually, they'll grant you the privilege of passing that property on to someone else after you die, who will, of course, have to pay an insane inheritance tax or capital gains taxes or corporate taxes, whatever, depending on what type of gift you are given. I mean, this is all bullshit. The government can't turn a right into a privilege just so that they can circumvent the Constitution and bilk us taxpayers for a little more money so that they can dole out some economic stimulus in times of crisis of their own creating, by the way. I mean, everyone blames the COVID for these shutdowns. COVID didn't shut anything down. The federal government did. These local governors are shutting things down. COVID, COVID didn't do shit. COVID gave a bunch of people the sniffles, killed off a bunch of old people with underlying conditions. Okay, they didn't shut down the economy. Uh, the government did that. It's just another perfect example of the government like perverting the definition of a word that we use every day, like ownership or property. If I own something, that means that it's mine. I own it. I get to do whatever the fuck I want with it. It's it's not subject to your approval. I don't have to ask you, oh, can I do this with my property? Can I do that with my property? Is it okay if I give it to this guy? No, no. It's mine. I built it. Not like Barack Obama said, okay? okay? Somebody else did not make that happen. This is my property. I get to do with it what I see fit. But no, no, not according to our government. 
We have no rights. They own 100% of us. We just have a bunch of privileges now that they're bestowing upon us and that they can take away whenever they see fit. A disease comes along, a virus of some sort, all your rights are gone, and they'll grant you certain privileges in different phases along the way. You know, maybe we'll go into phase two and you'll get a couple more privileges back and then phase three, oh, wait, you know, like the kind of had another jump in cases. So we're going to take that privilege back. You know, we'll, we'll go back to phase two for a while. But this is what they think. They own all of us. We are their slaves. We don't have rights. We have privileges. That's why they think that they can institute a wealth tax. That's why they think that they can take 75% of what you earn because they believe it all belongs to them. That's the premise that they're operating off of. And us plebs should be thankful for all the crumbs that they allow us to keep. All of, all this proves this whole, I mean, I, I don't know where to, where to go back to, but Biden's entire tax plan, everything that comes out of Bernie Sanders' mouth, AOC, the, the fact that we have an inheritance tax and a gift tax and all these, you know, all of these things, it just proves that none of us own anything. Okay, if you have to bend a knee to the government to ask for permission, pay the toll to do what you want to do with it, it's not yours. It's theirs. You're just renting it from them. They own everything. We own nothing. And we're all just a bunch of indentured servants. We're slaves. In the history books, you know, they tell you that Lincoln freed the slaves. He didn't. Black people never got off that plantation. The rest of us joined them, and the whole country became one gigantic government plantation. They own everything. The government owns everything. All the land, all the property, all your income, all of it. And the most unbelievable part of it all, of this whole thing, is that they've got us believing that we're free, that we actually have liberty. They've got us enthusiastically lining up to vote for our next round of slave owners. It's incredible. I watch in awe as this unfolds and people show up to Trump rallies or Biden. Oh. <laughs> Nobody's going to a Biden rally, but a Bernie Sanders rally, AOC. You know, they're waving their signs. They've got their buttons on and their hats and they're passionately defending these buffoons. It's the biggest case of Stockholm Syndrome that has ever existed. The whole idea of America was that it, you know, it was founded on the idea that government should be limited and it only exists to secure our natural rights and protect our property. And look at where we ended up today. Look at where we are. We had all of these rights. We listed them in you know, you know, the, the thing, right? the, the Bill of Rights that the government couldn't take them away, and now we have nothing. No rights whatsoever. We just have a bunch of privileges. Our wise overlords in Washington grant us, and we have to beg and plead for everything that we get in return. It's just pathetic. And no matter how many of these rights that they take away, that they claim are privileges, there'll be people walking around supporting the government, helping them enforce them. All of these people, these, uh, you know, pro-virus people that are in for it, like, you know, ratting people out on the street for not wearing their mask properly or trying to open their business or something like that, enforcing all of these government mandates like good little citizens. It really is uh, oof, a sad state of, state of affairs here. But anyway, that's, uh, those are your two choices on how to pay for all of this extra government spending. 
either through um, inflation, future tax increases, or tax uh, ridiculous tax increases right now if you vote for Joe Biden and Democrats who will take all of your income up to like 75%, and then they'll increase the inheritance tax to like 80%. And uh, man, good luck calling yourselves a free people when when the government's taken three quarters of everything that you earn and then another three quarters after you die. Land of the free, home of the brave. This is 2020 America. Guys, I'm going to wrap there. Thank you so very much for listening. I will be back on our regularly scheduled programming next week. And if you like today's show, do me a favor and share it with somebody that you know that might also like it. Follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. Make sure you support our sponsors. And if you want to become a supporting listener of the show, you can do that by going to PedalingFictionPodcast.com. And if you do all that for me, I will be back on Monday with a brand new episode for all you fiction peddlers out there. Until then, you guys know what to do. Just keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.